Hello and welcome to Rise of RevOps. This episode features an interview with Renee Senka, head of revenue operations at Rudderstack. As the leading open source customer data platform, Rudderstack provides data pipelines that make it easy to collect data from every application, website, and SaaS platform, then activates it in your warehouse and business tools. Before joining the team at Rudderstack as head of revenue operations, Renee worked in sales operations at Bolt, and as a business architect at Cisco. Renee has a degree in business administration and management from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. On this episode, Renee discusses the importance of knowing the key players in your organization, going from zero to one in a tech startup, and being right versus being a good partner. But first, a brief word from our sponsor. Rise of RevOps is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified's Pipeline Cloud is the future of pipeline generation for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Learn more about the Pipeline Cloud on qualified.com. And now, please enjoy this interview with Renee Sanka, Head of Revenue Operations at Rudderstack, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Rise of RevOps. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by special guest. Renee, how are you? Great. How are you? Thanks so much for having me, Ian. Thanks so much for joining the show. Excited to chat revenue operations at Rudderstack, chat your background and uh, and everything in between. So let's get to our rev opening here. How did you get into RevOps? Oh my gosh, I I have not heard that pun before, but that's a great one. I'm going to have to use that sometime. <laughs> I got myself too, apparently. <laughs> uh, probably like most people in RevOps, I, I got here sort of by kinesis. I got into RevOps via partner operations. So When I started my career, I was in sort of a product management role at Cisco where I um, was responsible for a number of applications that the partners in Cisco's ecosystem leveraged. From there, I I went from a very large company to a very small startup at the time. I joined Bolt, the checkout company Bolt, to lead their partner operations. From there, based on a number of projects I worked on, that role sort of expanded into supporting partnerships and SDR and then later sales as well. So sort of a standard uh, sort of sales ops scope of work at Bolt. And then from there, I, I sort of found the opportunity via some folks in my network at Rudderstack to lead their revenue operations function. Um, and when I met with the team, it, it ended up just you know being what I thought could be a great fit for the next step of my career. Yeah. What's your definition of, of revenue operations? Yeah. So I, I've been interviewing folks for, for my team for a little while. So I have this spiel down in terms of what RevOps means at Rudderstack. But I think of RevOps as you know the team that's responsible for providing the go-to-market functions, be it sales, SDR, partnerships, marketing, with the insights, processes, and tools that they need to be successful at their jobs, right? So whether it's a forecast or an an impact analysis to all of the sales processes and handoffs between teams, how do we qualify leads, to then all the tools that enable those things to happen in in a systematic, formulaic, and measurable way. What does your team look like at Rudderstack? Our RevOps team is, is a team of three. So myself, and then we have someone focused particularly on sales operations. So I'm um, supporting SDR, sales, and then sort of all the sort of one level outside of that, right? How does sales interact with customer success? 
how does SDR interact with marketing? So they're responsible sort of for that full stack of functions, right? Insights, process, and systems for for that functional area. And then we also have a, a member of my team who's an analytics engineer focused on more detailed analytics around marketing attribution or product activation insights, anything from our install base of of free or paid customers that might indicate um, some propensity to buy or or spend more with Rudderstack. So, and then myself, obviously sort of over um, all of those functional areas, as well as providing support for the marketing team, in addition to obviously that sales focus. How does Rudderstack go to market? Who are you selling to and, and what do y'all do? Rudderstack is a customer data platform. For those of you not in the space, that is uh, Rudderstack provides data pipelines that enable you to take data and insights and usage from your website or your application and send it into your warehouse. And then from your warehouse, you know, you know, maybe run some DBTs or analytics on that data and then send it back right to either those applications or another, you know, another source. So for a RevOps person, right? And we do use Rudderstack at Rudderstack. We might send someone does a demo request on our website. We'll use Rudderstack to send that form submission event into Salesforce. Use Rudderstack to transform that into a lead and create a new lead in Salesforce and sort of route that to the SDRs through a sort of more traditional SaaS tech stack process. And then throughout the course of that customer's journey with us as they use our application or um, engage with our website more, we'll also retain all that data in our back end. And, you know, maybe we have a lead scoring model, right? We'll use a reverse ETL or we'll send that data from our warehouse back into Salesforce to give, you know, our go-to-market team some more insight on on that person's propensity to talk to us. So that's what Rudderstack does in terms of who we target and how we go to market. We're selling primarily to to data teams, product teams, heads of marketing, right? So folks that want to to take the data from their customers or potential customers and, and figure out how to use it to to drive additional revenue or serve better experiences to their customers. So we, we're looking at sort of selling into more technical teams a lot of the time. And then I think maybe the first part of your question, which I'm answering last, is sort of how do we go to market? So we've recently started doing outbound a lot more. So that's you know one component. I think we have a significant amount of inbound traffic that we get. There's a lot of content that Rudderstack will put out in, in terms of the data space. Rudderstack has a top data engineering podcast as well. So we'll, we'll put out a, a lot of content. Um, webinars, things like that, that drive inbound interest, and then, you know, leading to demo requests and app signups, which is sort of that last go-to-market funnel for us. We have a freemium model, right? We have a free product. You can sign up for Rudderstack today and send about 5 million events per month for free. So we have a number of users that sign up, try it out, and, you know, and, and either quickly sort of approach that limit or are interested to learn more and, and get in a conversation with an expert on our team and, and, and sort of engage uh, and start the sales process that way. Love to see that uh, you all have a, a thriving podcast. Always, always great to see and video series, I might add. So that's always fun. You know, coming to this role, I'm curious, like, what were your, what were your first six months like? How did you approach sort of uh, getting your head around where you were at as a company and this, this rev ops duties? 
So when I joined, and this was the approach that I shared as well when I when I was interviewing for the role and and uh, with a whole new set of, of problems and challenges and opportunities, is you know you really need to understand the way that everything works today to make it the way that that it should be, right? Or go from point A to point B or from zero to one in the case of joining sort of an early stage startup. So what that meant for me when I came in is you know understanding the way the the way it is, right? So who are the key players? people, teams, customers, and then what are they doing, right? And what are we trying to achieve? So you gain that perspective from talking to all of those stakeholders and learning what their priorities are, what their targets are, right? And and and, uh, and how they're trying to, to get there. So when I joined Rudderstack, we had, I want to say, well, there were three AEs, there was a head of sales, there were a handful of folks on the marketing team. There was one person running customer success and managing all of our customers and one guy in partnerships and no SDRs. So it was pretty easy to get to know all the all the people and understand where they were coming from. And then it was a matter of, of learning all the processes. For me, we use Rudderstack at Rudderstack and that's not something that, um, that I have any experience with on the marketing operations side, right? For us to get the leads from, from our website enriched and into Salesforce, uh, folks use Marketo or Pardot or Pardo. So learning that from a systems perspective was definitely something new for me. But but yeah, I think just getting to know the people and the priorities. And then if you have some, you know, some context um, for how systems work, right? It's not rocket science. You can sort of quickly build a framework um, and start to to deliver some some impact pretty quickly. All right, let's get to our next segment here. Rev obstacles. Obstacle, obstacle. An obstacle to what? There's your obstacle. We talk through the tough parts of RevOps. What are your Rev obstacles? What's the hardest RevOps problem you've had to face uh, in the last six months? So I think the hardest challenge or the biggest challenge that we've had from a RevOps perspective at, at Rudderstack has definitely been going true zero to one for our SDR team. That's everything from, from hiring and, and structuring compensation to giving them target accounts, figuring out how to align AEs with SDRs and measure that performance and as well set up all the systems and tools that they need. So the challenge, the challenging part, I think, was doing that all within a very condensed time frame of about two months. So if you think about within two months going from having no SDRs to having a team of about seven folks, all with no tools to start off with, right? So didn't have Zoom info, outreach wasn't really optimized for SDRs. There was no sort of AE SDR alignment concept. Up until that point, we had one inbound SDR who had since been promoted into a commercial AE role, and her job day in and day out was just fielding requests, right? So when you scale a team, thinking about making sure everyone is fed in terms of having enough leads to work, enough accounts to work, and that you can measure their performance, right? Whether it's from a compensation perspective or just understanding what's working and what's not working. And I think what we found very quickly, and I think fortunately to have uh, that we had a number of those systems set up to be able to measure, you know, how things were going in terms of conversion, in terms of meeting, uh, sort of meetings being set or not set with particular target stakeholders, open rates and reply rates on outreach cadences, we're able to find out pretty quickly what we need to change, right? 
how do you balance supporting like sales marketing and customer success together? I don't know. You haven't talked a ton about CS as a function, so I don't know how much of that y'all are, you know, you're looking at being in charge of RevOps or how do you, how do you break it down? On the CS side, we have someone who's focused on strategy and ops that sits within CS, but on the system side, and I think on the insights piece, we do provide a lot of support, right? This customer success team recently launched uh, with Gainsight. If you're familiar with that as a sort of like Salesforce for CS, right? So we help with that Salesforce integration, working with consultants to get that accomplished, as well as, you know, the handoff process between sales and CS, and then forecasting for CS as well. So we do support the team sort of in the, like I said, on the system side, and then obviously as they work with other teams at, at Rudderstack. In terms of how we prioritize, I think you know, there's only so many hours in a day, as I think any RevOps person can sympathize with and understand, you know, there's always more stakeholders and you have time to help. The way that I prioritize it is thinking about, you know, what is going to be the most impactful to the to the business. So if we have, you know, a really short pipeline month, right, and there's a number of projects that might help marketing improve conversion, that's what's going to be prioritized, right? So if you think about, you know, at the highest level, right, the whole company or the whole revenue organization is aligned to whatever that number is for the end of the quarter or the end of the year. I think no matter what stage of a startup you are, or even company, I think everything sort of boils down to that. So when you sit in RevOps, you do have a unique perspective on how all of those different elements of go-to-market will impact that final number at the end. Then, then the second portion of that obviously is is thinking about hiring and scaling your team, right? And, and how you build that leverage and how you make it sort of a justification to hire. So that's also where, you know, we're focused on growing the team so that we can give all the teams some love in terms of uh, RevOps support. Do you have uh, your biggest RevOps moment of the past uh, year, something that that you you messed up or or uh, or you were like, oh, geez, we probably should have done that? Rev oops. Oh my gosh, these puns, they're killing me. As I think anyone who uses Salesforce will know, you should always have a dedicated integration user for all of your integrations for a number of reasons, which basically means that the application will communicate with Salesforce through a particular account. So we had our rudder stack instance connected to Salesforce through my personal Salesforce account. And when it came time for a password reset, those credentials were not refreshed in Rudderstack automatically. And it took a few hours, which is, you know, a few dozen leads in our case, or and then that went over the, the weekend, actually. Um, so, you know, a few business hours, but, but a few days worth of data where things were not flowing into Salesforce, leads were not MQLing because of that sort of that credential issue. So there was a quick resolution, but I think what what I learned there is, you know, when you're an early stage startup, you do a lot of sort of zero to one things where you're like, okay, this is fine now, right? We, we're trying to save money, so we're not going to buy additional Salesforce licenses. You get to a certain point where you do need to, you know, invest more in, in process and, and sort of following sort of the the recommended setups for all of your applications that you can't just hack everything together. Um, so that was a good moment for me to sort of take a step back and evaluate how we had set everything up to make sure that it would scale. Um, and we went back and, and updated a decent amount of configurations as a result of that and have not had a similar issue. But I think that was a good uh, a good learning for me, certainly. I love it. That's a great one. Such a good uh, good point that when you're building from the very beginning, you know, act like you're big because otherwise it'll come back to bite you. I think about it all the time. All right, let's get to our next segment, the tool shed. 
Hey, hey Brandon? Michael? Wanna do me and mom a favor? Get off that shed? This is my favorite place. <laughs> the tool shed. Get off the shed! We're talking tools, spreadsheets, metrics, stuff like that. Just like everyone's favorite tool, Qualified. No B2B tool shed is complete without Qualified. Go to qualified.com right now and check them out. What's in your tool shed, Renee? Well, uh, Qualified is the most recent addition to our tool shed. Hey, now. um, So we... We do use Qualified for our for marketing site. We're evaluating adding it in the application as well on certain pages. But we use that for conversational marketing as well as insights and signals for our outbound team and our account executives, right? And they've that it's been very impactful for us so far. One, if I laundry list out sort of the big players, I'll start at the top of the funnel where we use Rudderstack, right? So Rudderstack is what we use to get our leads in from our application from our marketing website and sort of track as well all of the interactions that those sort of de-anonymized folks have with our website. So in the same way that qualified, right? Once someone puts their email address into the qualified bot, you're always able to, to tell that that's that person coming back in the future. We do the same thing on our marketing website, right? So if someone gives us their email in a demo request or to register for a content marketing webinar, we'll cookie them, right? And and we'll track how that prospect is engaging with our content going forward. We'll actually also use Rudderstack to instantly enrich those or near instantly enrich those with Clearbit. So Qualified also leverages Clearbit. So we do have a good consistency, at least in terms of MQL logic and, and how we think about what a qualified versus unqualified lead is between Qualified and our marketing site. Overarching uh, as well, we leverage Tableau for a lot of the usage insights, analytics, just different go-to-market roll-ups. So yeah, I think that's like a, that's the tool belt for us at Rudderstack. Love it. What metrics matter to you? Uh, metrics that matter to me. I mean, I think the most important one is ARR number, right? We obviously have that big, I don't know if I can say it on the podcast, right? But we have that, we have the number that we're tracking to towards the end of the year that's sort of net of everything, right? So net of churn, net of self-serve signups, upsells, right? We have a number we're trying to, to get to. So that's top of mind for me and for everyone. I think the most important metric now that we have as a growing startup uh, that's in its earlier stages, it's all about pipeline, right? And, and how are you building pipeline for us to hit the even bigger top line number next year? So it's not just pipeline ARR. In fact, pipeline ARR is probably the least important metric to me because no one knows how big the deal is going to be when it comes in. But the ones that I care about most now certainly our conversion metric. So all the different slices and dices, right? Whether it's, you know, what was their first touch? What was what were all the touches that that person had? How many of is that the first person from that company that we've seen, or the second? Just looking at how all those things impact conversion, so that we can um, our traffic continues to grow, and as we invest in in that top of funnel, how do we make sure that we're converting as much possible into into pipeline? If something's not working from a pipeline perspective. Like, how do you notice that? Uh, what's an example of something where you, you notice where you're like, yeah, that doesn't look right? If you think about traffic or number of meetings or anything like that, those finite numbers don't always tell the full picture, right? Because you can, you know, spend a lot more on advertising and you get, and certainly you can make that a percentage rate, right? Of traffic versus your spend. But where we are able to identify those issues is by looking at the conversion rates. And what we did, what we actually did notice is we had an issue with how our, our site was showing up 
in organic search that was preventing some very high intent traffic from finding our website, right? So we did notice that the conversion rates from that particular segment of direct traffic just nosedove, right, for a few weeks. And we're able to diagnose or in partnership with different organizations at Rudderstack. And that does show up very quickly, right? Because it's, it's conversion from traffic to inquiry. So that's sort of that first indicator. And we're able to resolve that within a matter of days, right, once that was identified. Are you a spreadsheet person? I would say I'm a spreadsheet person, yes. I don't know how many people do say no to that question. Uh, <laughs> I think we're probably... I don't know. I think we're like 50-50 around there. Oh, really? But okay. you have people who like love them and then people are like, I can't, I can't do it at all. So what's your top three spreadsheets or favorite ones? Like that I use day to day to run my business or team. So I would say... Or even outside of that. I don't know. Yeah. Your fantasy football league or something. I don't know. Oh, I do. I can talk about that one first. That one is... Uh, that I do have a spreadsheet. That is how I draft. So what I do is... <laughs> Because I don't follow football at all, but I'm very competitive and I do know my spreadsheets. So what I'll do is I'll take all, I'll take the top three analyst drafts, whether it's PPR or standard or half PPR, whatever that is, I'll find the top three most recent. And I will give each player using sort of just a simple VLOOKUP, right? I'll return all of their draft picks, right? So if Jonathan Taylor's picked first in each of these drafts, he'll have a three and then I'll sort it in ascending order by the position and I will pick the top available. So that's a good spreadsheet for me. I think the other That's a great one. Yeah. So that that's my fantasy football hack. You do need to know Excel to accomplish that. But that's one I think the other sort of big spreadsheet that, that we use, which is a is a sort of a master sheet, is the, the forecast model. So looking at a number of different input metrics and sales assumptions, there is a relatively robust monthly sales forecast that I built at the beginning of the year. And then we sort of did a re-forecast exercise at mid-year, although we were within 5% accuracy of the original forecast. Certainly second half, obviously, the world is very different in January than it was in June. So it's more of an outlook adjustment, right, going forward. But that's another big one, right? So if we think about, are we short on pipeline? What does that mean for the next five, six months, right? If, if we didn't have a great August, how, how's that going to impact December? So that's a, a spreadsheet that we reference a lot at Rudderstack. And we're still at the stage, right, where we'll do the, this planning in spreadsheets. At some point, we'll we'll move out of that. And then I would say the the last one is probably, this isn't really a spreadsheet, it's a Tableau dashboard, but I think Tableau dashboards are just spreadsheets with a, a nice UI, pivot tables with a with a better UI. It is a, is a go-to-market scorecard that we have, which is essentially, we ETL everything from Salesforce into Rudderstack on a nightly basis. And so it makes it really easy, a lot easier than Salesforce reports and dashboards to interact with, to build a great visualization that sort of shows what our revenue build is to that number, what our performance is to the quarterly goal, how close are we to 100% renewal, who are the top SDRs, where are leads coming from, what, what's the pipeline. And it's, it's basically a snapshot, right, that the whole company actually looks at I love it. That's great. I think the fantasy football one's probably my favorite, but you know, they're all great. <laughs> um, do you have any well, you probably things? need to use it within the next two days if you're gonna. So. No, I wish I had it two days ago, but you know, here we are sitting there with terrible running backs. What are the blind spots that you have or something that you wish you could measure better? 
Yeah. So I think the biggest one that we have and we're working on, on sort of filling that gap is attribution for leads, right? And, and we now that we have so much content going out, we're seeing folks before we have a pipeline opportunity have three or four touches, right, with us before, before that becomes pipeline. And, and probably, you know, a few more than that, right, before that opportunity becomes closed one. Not to get too technical, but up until, you know, very, very recently, we had not been using that campaign member object at all, right, which is such a nice way to track all the touches for a particular person. Using Rudderstack, we were updating the lead source, right? So we had a very robust set of data in Rudderstack in this sort of very, very large sort of beast of a user journey table. And being able to translate that into something that's a little bit more actionable for someone like an SDR. So figuring out how we translate that into something that's more consumable for the go-to-market users, right? Who aren't going to query this table in, in Snowflake. So the way we're doing that, right, is, is, is leveraging campaign members and giving that insight to the folks that are using it. Because of course, on my end and, and with the help of our analytics engineer and, and the team, right, we can do very, very complex attribution models and, and all of that stuff. But that doesn't really help an SDR who's going to talk to that person or an AE who wants to know, you know, three webinars that they attended. So that was a blind spot for the stakeholders, certainly. And it's something that we're, we're actively working on improving and delivering now. Any other uh, tool, metric, or uh, dashboard related thoughts before we get to our next segment? You know, there's so many tools that does help to have all of your Salesforce data in your data warehouse, just like full stop. If that's all you need, Rudderstack is something that's great that you can use probably for free. I would say most most people that use it for a B to that have it for a B two B use case, which I assume is most of the audience. You can set up a pipeline from Salesforce to Rudderstack in less than five minutes and get everything that you want in terms of the objects just synced over, and you can have that refresh on a nightly basis. So that makes it really easy if you want to have any sort of complex dashboards or do any sort of joins, right? That just aren't possible really to do within Salesforce. Okay, let's get to our next segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Quick hits, are you ready, Renee? If you could make any animal any size, what animal would it be and what size would it be? I'm trying to think about an animal that is a nuisance, that is very large, that I could make no longer a nuisance by making it smaller. Like maybe I would just make bees even smaller, just like really, really, really tiny. Ooh, that's a good like one. Mosquitoes, really, really small so that, so that like you don't even feel them biting you. That's a great one. Because if you made like mosquitoes microscopic, then it wouldn't really matter if there's the size of like... Yeah, exactly. Then your mosquito bites, would, you wouldn't even be able to see them. Do you have a biggest biggest RevOps misconception? <laughs> um, I think the biggest RevOps misconception I would say like is just that RevOps is Salesforce admins and it's def I'm not a Salesforce admin, so therefore that is a misconception. But I, I think it's more than just Salesforce management. And I think that as the space continues to evolve, you know, at one point that was probably there were probably, probably just a Salesforce admin that worked with the the head of sales. And now as I think we have such a and it's not just the tech stack that's growing in complexity, but it's the go-to-market analytics layer and and, and the focus or and, and sort of what those analytics can 
um, can do to inform strategy where, where RevOps is just such a, is a lot more complex than just administering tools. So I would say that's, that's what I would think that misconception is. Uh, what would your uh, superpower be? I, I would think I would like to pause time and just work you know, or, or get things done. I have a wedding coming up in a month. So there's, I just wish there was 48 hours in a day. I'm sure my stakeholders also wish that I had 48 hours in a day, but I think that would be the most, what I would take, right? I would just, just to have more time. If you had a question for the next guest, we don't know who that is yet. Well, we know, but you don't know who the next guest is. A fellow RevOpper, what's one thing that you would ask them? I would probably ask them, I was on a panel recently, and, and this is something that I am curious about at any org is, is how have you set up your PMO, right? Your, your project management and how do you communicate to your stakeholders and how do you intake requests? Something that is, I think, really challenging at, at, at a remote company, as well as one that's gone zero to one and now you're going one to five. Is, is establishing those processes and, and driving and driving that all being remote. So yeah, curious about how they, um, they manage work intake and prioritization and communication with all their stakeholder groups. What's one piece of advice that you have for someone who is newly leading a RevOps team? Uh, I would say uh, uh, ask questions, listen, and don't try to, don't, don't try to come with an answer. I, I think any ops person who is successful and has made the transition from maybe being an individual contributor to a leader has probably, as an IC, gotten to be successful by being right and by delivering value and, 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 you know, and building something cool. When you get to the stage of your career, if you want to get to this, that, that point, right, where you're leading and, and uh, your perspective needs to not be about you know, being right. It's about being a good partner. Um, and, and sometimes that means being wrong or, or doing something or enabling something or building something where you think it might not have the desired outcome, but, but you, you, you might need to do it right to, to, to be a strong partner. So I would say it's, it's switching from being right to being a good partner and just always keeping that in mind as you have conversations and, and make decisions. Don't have an, I told you so type of mindset. Or just shrink a bunch of mosquitoes. Or just, yeah, everyone will will certainly uh, be happy with that if you if you deliver that. Renee, wonderful having you on the show. That's it. That's all we got for today. For our listeners, go check them out. That's uh, obviously you, you've heard a bunch of cool stuff about Rudderstack, but go to Rudderstack.com to learn more. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Uh, nope. I, I guess uh, the Data Stack Show. I could plug. It's another podcast. If anyone yeah. here is a data engineer, I think it's in the top ten of data engineering podcasts, which I didn't know was a category until I found out that we were in it. But yeah, I really appreciate the time today, Ian. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, awesome. Take care. Thank you for listening to Rise of RevOps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you're listening. This podcast was created by the team at Qualified. The Pipeline Cloud is the modern way B2B revenue teams generate pipeline. Learn more at qualified.com.